We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance in this program is limited, so get your application in today. Go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome, Notre Dame fans. To another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince D'Addario. And with me, as always, is my guy, Brian Driscoll. He's a publisher at irishbreakdown.com. I'm the football analyst at irishbreakdown.com. And this is our Friday mailbag, our live Friday mailbag. So we are excited to be here. We are excited to uh, have everyone on. And I believe, Brian, we are... Focusing on offense today, correct? Mm-hmm. We are, yep. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited to see what the guys bring us, guys and gals. Don't want to discriminate. 
whoever our fans out there. We do have a question from one of our uh, our uh, one of our ladies. So yes, awesome. we, we will get to that. Very good. It was and... left on Twitter because she couldn't make the show, but she had okay. a really good question. I thought, and so we'll we'll get awesome. to that. That, I'm looking forward to it. So offense uh, focus today. So offensive recruiting, uh, offensive philosophy questions, uh, offensive game plan type questions, X's and O's. We're, we're willing to jump into just about whatever you guys have for us uh, on the offensive side of the football. And uh, the, the show is only as good as our participation. So, uh, so as your participation. <laughs> yes, that is right. So, uh, so bring it on. Bring us whatever you guys have. And of course, we've got a couple of questions, um, Brian. I believe from uh, our our listeners, readers uh, that that you've already kind of collected a little bit. Yeah, we you know we we got some of that. You know, I had kind of had a couple people reach out about about some questions about the upcoming show. So I'm gonna go find some of those now. But uh, one of the questions that we kind of got into was it was kind of a big picture football question. Okay, and it was sort of about about trying to understand the air raid offense. And so, um, you know, because we talk a lot about some of the changes that Notre Dame needs to make and some of the differences that that we need to see. I think the popularity of the air raid with a lot of fans kind of is one of those things. And so, you know, he had asked, you know, the question is from, uh, from Tommy Leonard and he asked, um, he said uh, the difference in the two, in the two air raid offensive styles between USC and UNC North Carolina and how both can be considered an air raid offense. The one thing you have to understand when we talk about offenses is number one, there is really the, really the only pure form of an offense is going to be with the originators of the offense. So, you know, you want to see the pure form of the air raid, go watch Mike Leach. And if how Mummy's coaching somewhere, go watch how Mummy. But as was the case with the West Coast offense, if you want to see the pure form of the original West Coast offense, go watch Bill Walsh, you know, film right. from San Francisco 49ers. Over time, coaches take the philosophy and they implement different concepts to it or emphases right. to it. So, for example, you watch um, USC with Graham Harrell, right? Their air raid is – in its it's 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 a tree of it's a branch of the original air raid. I mean, obviously Graham Harrell played for Mike Leach, so right. there's a lot closer connection to it, and so you see a very pass oriented uh, offense. It is uh, it's about spacing four five receivers. The running backs in the running game, the running back is as much of a receiver as he is a running back when you watch that offense. And the off in the run game, a lot of times is just a complement to the pass game. It's sort of a, let's keep them honest by running an inside zone or a G a G wrap or a, or a, a counter or, or a draw or something like that. Uh, that is it in its original form. And what you have to understand is that doesn't mean they don't appreciate what a run game can give. They just get that out of the pass game. Right. They're going to run a bubble screen instead of an outside zone or a pitch right. play. Uh, you know, so those are the quick things that you, you have to understand about it. And then over time, different coaches adopt the philosophy or or some of the concepts. So when you look at a guy like Lincoln Riley, he's an air raid guy. He comes from that tree of, of air raid coaches. I believe he coached at Texas Tech under Mike Leach. But he's gone a, a, a different direction with it where you look at the rushing numbers from Oklahoma and you compare them to anything Mike Leach has ever done, and they're astronomically higher. Yeah. Same thing with Paul Longo, who's the offensive coordinator at North Carolina. He is not a traditional air raid guy because the air raid wasn't necessarily what he came up in. The air raid is something he adopted as he got into coaching. He liked some of the concepts. And I think when you're coaching at smaller schools or maybe you don't have Alabama talent, Clemson talent, an offense like that can be great because it does a lot of things to defenses that a triple option does. 
where you have all these different options and you can isolate defenders and it's about spacing and and you can you can create spacing different ways. You can create spacing with your wide receivers and their wide splits. I mean, Baylor under Art Bryles used to have their outside receivers lined up like a yard off of the sideline. You know what I mean? It's just – and then other coaches focus. You watch Mike Leach and you look at <clears throat> the splits he has with his offensive linemen. So a split is essentially the gap between – the distance between a center and a guard, right, or a guard and a tackle. And they've got these really wide splits, again, designed to create spacing, wide right. not pass rushers and different things along those lines. So uh, yeah, I, I think when you when you look at things like that, it's 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 a concept that you can adopt and then hey we like this certain concept pass game wise but we believe in the ability to run the football so you watch north carolina this year they're an air raid offense they had two thousand yard running backs right usc barely would have gone over a thousand yards rushing as a team this season with how infrequently they run the football so it's same philosophy and it's we saw the same thing from the west coast and i've made this comment before when you look at John Gruden's version of the West Coast offense and then compare that to Bill Walsh's version and then compare that to Mike Shanahan's version, they're going to look like three completely different offenses because you're going to look at the schemes and the, and the concepts, but you have to understand it's more about the philosophy, timing plays, mesh concepts, creating, you know, isolating certain defenders with horizontal stretches, vertical stretches, things along those lines. A horizontal stretch is essentially you want to stretch the team left to right so the four verticals play is actually a horizontal stretch right because you're stretching them left to right a vertical stretch is you're stretching the defense top to bottom okay so those are the different kind of things that you'll that you'll find so and that's, that's why like you're a, like a flood concept right because you're stretching kind of yeah and a lot of teams will do it with front and backside <clears throat> receivers we're like back yeah. in the day Vince when you and I were first coming up as young players a flood concept was like a go a deep out and you know, a slide from that same route, side yeah. of the field, right? Right. You'll still see that, right? But now you're seeing it kind of from where you you have a, a go route and then like maybe an out cut, but then that that out is kind of coming from the backside, like a quick drag. Yep. Um, you know, you're you're seeing it with backs. You're seeing, you know, in cuts with crossing routes and a post over top. That's the same concept, right? It's a high low concept that is designed to attack a team vertically. So. Sure. Those are some of the things that that you have to understand about it and and understand that every coach is going to put his own personality onto it. Sure. And so, you know, I don't advocate for Notre Dame running an air raid. I think there are philosophies that you can adopt to what you do um, to to kind of get into that. So uh, those are the things that I wanted to kind of answer that as we as we first got started on that. And so that, that was a question Tommy had asked me a week ago, and then he reminded me again today <laughs> that he had asked me that question. I was like, okay, let, let's let's get to that. So well, and there and there's certain yeah. things that you have to have uh, on your team to 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 do a, an air raid offense. I mean, you need to have a quarterback that can get the ball out of his hand quickly. Um, he's got to make quick decisions, you know. So a lot of these coaches, uh, you know, who are going to these air raid offenses, they're going because it's a personnel really fits what that is, or they've now recruited to that, to that style. Does that make sense? I mean, you can't, if you don't have the quarterback that can, that's got that quick trigger, air raid doesn't do you any good. Yeah. Right? But I do right? think that's a lot easier to find. I, I mean, you know, we, fair. we people talk about like Keaton Slovis, for example, and, and they talk about how good he is and they, they look at his numbers and I'm like, look, 
there weren't a whole lot of difference in numbers from what Pat Mahomes did in college and what Graham Harrell did in college, right? And one guy was a you know undrafted free agent kind of guy, and the other guy's a generational talent. The offense it's, will generate talent. The the or the, the the offense will generate numbers, and and I think that it's a lot easier to find a quarterback that can execute that than it is, let's say, a quarterback that can execute the Notre Dame offense, which requires sure. so much of the downfield vertical type of stuff. So, um, yeah, so it, it's like with anything, and and um, I like I like the air raid. Sure, uh, I, I I there's concepts of it that I like. I should say. I would not personally adopt the Mike Leach version of the air raid. I think it's limiting in regards to winning the big games. It's kind of like the option. The option can only take you so far. Sure. Uh, it'll be a great talent negator from time to time, but it's not going to win you championships, right? Because it's, it's limiting. Yeah. Um, however, I think that teams that have adopted ver- versions of it, but then implemented the, the running aspect of it, I think that's why those teams find more consistency. That's why I think – Oklahoma has been so good on offense and they can score on anybody. I mean, yeah, you know, they scored 34 points in a loss a couple years ago in the playoff to Alabama. I mean, they scored 48 on Georgia in the playoffs. Their issue has more been defensive. Uh, Yeah. Right. Offense. So exactly. It's a unique system, but I I like the more, uh, the newer versions of it, the, the ones that involve, Oh, and another aspect of it too, is it's a tempo offense. It is, it is. You go it fast. Is. And the other thing that I like about the air raid, and this is my favorite part of it, the air raid coaches more more often than not, the good ones, believe in fewer plays, greater level of execution. And so it's essentially trying to find concepts that, that can work no matter what the defensive call is, right? So that way I'm going to keep running this play. And the way that it's designed, if you're in cover two, we have a way to beat it. If you're in cover four, we have a way to beat it. If you're in split field coverage, we have a way to beat it. Sure. Um, And it's also about simplifying the reads, especially the post-snap reads, which allow the quarterback to make quicker decisions and to get the ball in space. So those are other concepts that I do think Notre Dame needs to adopt. Um, that are that are that that are to me are things that can be effective regardless of what you do. But you have to have a tempo part of it because if you don't go tempo and you're running an air raid, it makes it so easy for defenses to confuse you, to get lined up, to get to get matched up, and and you have to you you have to be tempo. And that's why you see those air raid coaches have like I mean you'll see you'll see air raid coaches that have like this is their play sheet right, <laughs> you know where right. you know you know I don't have a screen big enough to hold what some of the the quote unquote pro style. Yeah, coaches do so that that's a part of it too. Vince, I did I do have uh, Doy Bird is the was the was the question that she said. Um, okay, she she said she actually didn't say this has to be for the mailbag, but here I want to answer the mailbag because it's a good one. She said, "What if Xavier Watts and Lorenzo Styles switch to defense, Ooh. and would that be good? Uh, uh, would that be would that be good for the team or hurt the offense too much?" I I don't think that. Number one, I don't think there's a need to move either one of them. I think you have to develop the guys you have. I think if you were going to move one, it'd be Xavier Watts because I think Xavier Watts is more of a safety than he is a corner. Xavier Watts played safety in high school, so I, I've right. never understood the people that talk about like move him to corner. Uh, and she didn't say about corner; she just said defense. It, look, if, if Xavier Watts could go over there and start and play, and he's sitting buried on the bench on offense, I I would imagine he'd consider it. I just feel like he has a skill set on offense that you don't have a lot of, and you need a lot of. Agreed. Because that's the kind of a skill that you need in a tempo spacing offense, yeah. which I think Notre Dame needs to do more of. And the same thing, Lorenzo Styles. I think Lorenzo Styles. If Notre Dame didn't have such a great cornerback class in a four man cornerback class, I think there would be conversations about moving Lorenzo Styles to corner. Because he even said when he was when he signed, he's like, "Look, I want to play offense, but I'm open to playing defense." Ohio State recruited him to play corner, so he's a, he's a very talented kid, very long, um, 
good speed. He could play corner, but I think receiver is is his to me his most comfortable position, his most natural position. But with the four man class they signed last year, and you have three players from the previous class. There you go. I don't. I don't think uh, <laughs> Matt is I, against. I, <laughs> Matt, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. <laughs> but for the same reasons of what we were talking about, Xavier Watts is Notre Dame. Was Brian Kelly? What's has been his excuse the last two times they've got thumped in the post in the in the playoff? We don't have enough playmakers. We don't have yeah. enough explosive playmakers. So you're not then going to take two of your most explosive playmakers and move them to defense. Sure. You know, and, and so, um, but I understand the 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 concern from from Doy here because. Um, there are a lot of question marks about the secondary. And then you look at an athlete like Lorenzo Styles, and then you look at how Xavier Watts was basically just wasted this year. Like, well, look, he's too good, too athletic not to find something for. So yeah. I'm sympathetic to that notion, but I think that those guys need to stay on offense. I, I think there's enough talent and athleticism and length on defense to have a really good secondary. It just has to be developed, which would also be true if you move those players. Brian, do you want to tackle that uh, the question that came in at 108, or do you want to move yeah, on to the next one? Yeah, we can do okay. that. It's kind of a three-parter. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. All right, so I'm going to throw it up here. So part one is, Brian, why did you get out of coaching? Part two is he's going old, old school, uh, or she. It just says user. So uh, how do you think George O'Leary would have done if he had not lied on his resume? And then number- <laughs> <laughs> Pretty blunt right there. Hilarious. And then number three – why do some coaches change their coaching style that made them so successful, i.e., what got Kelly to ND from Cincinnati and CMU? So a lot going on there. Yeah, so let me let me take the first one. Why did I get out of coaching? For different reasons at different times. You know, I got I got into coaching my for, for five years right out of college. Uh, loved it, enjoyed it, but just really – I went through a personal period of time, and I don't really care to get into it. Some things happened to a, a good friend of mine, and I just was at a time where I just kind of needed to – to get some things organized with my life. And so I took a step back and, and during that time I, I met my wife, I went to seminary. I was going to get into college campus ministry because I felt like my calling was in a different direction. And uh, while doing that, I got an opportunity to start kind of doing this and I just fell in love with it and, and fell in love with being able to kind of cover Notre Dame. And cause I'd gr- grown up a Notre Dame fan and, and uh, got all the way through seminary. I just had one, my final project to do. And then I got offered a job work in, uh, you know, cover Notre Dame for, for another website and took it. And, you know, obviously had a conversation with my wife about it and I wasn't really looking at getting into coaching, but I had a friend of mine who at the time was, was coaching at Notre Dame and, and we kind of talked and he had, you know, an opportunity arose to get back into coaching at the division three level. Uh, I took it, I enjoyed it for two years. It was my, it was my first time coaching as a married person. So my wife was able to experience that because she and I met after I had got out of coaching. Yeah. And so she got to experience that. And, and I think that was a really fun part of our life and marriage because, you know, I had I, I didn't make a lot of money, but, you know, we, we did what we had to do. But we'd have our my receivers over every Thursday night before games for dinner. And so my wife would make these big, huge spreads. And the first time she did it, she's like, well, you coach receivers. They're all kind of skinny guys. So she she made a you know, certain <clears throat> amount of food and <clears throat> we were maybe halfway through the kids going through the line and it was gone. So she's panicking. She's running out to the freezer, getting food and just trying to, <laughs> you know, heat up some lasagnas and stuff. But uh, but after that and, and you know, I loved the the thing that I miss about it and missed about it then is is the relationships you build with young people and just the ability to have an impact on people's lives. Uh, that's my favorite part of it, but there's a lot of other parts that you don't miss and that I don't miss, especially coaching at that level. Uh, you work 
14, 15 hour days, you're in the car a lot traveling and recruiting and you, and it's not for a lot of money. So I took a big pay cut to, to get back into coaching. And, and then there were other aspects of it that, that I remembered that I'd kind of forgotten about, you know, about things you have to do to climb up the ladder that just don't fit my personality. <laughs> so, uh, I, I enjoyed it for two years, but I decided to get back into doing what I'm doing now. Cause honestly, my wife didn't sign up for that. You know, I think she did her best and she loved it and she, she was great at it, but I got into like, do I really want to do this life where every year or two, we got to up and move to a different part yeah. of the country to, That's big, said, yeah. you know, I yeah. like the idea of being able to settle into an area. She, she, uh, she liked it here. Well, it's funny is, so she did not, she's grew up in, she was born in Long Island, grew up in San Diego. And when we first got married, we lived in Denver. So my wife was not a small town girl. So when we first moved to the South Bend area, she did not like it. Well, then I moved her to Defiance, Ohio for two years. And when we came back to <laughs> South Bend, she loves Woo, big South city Bend now. <laughs> so, uh, so that, that was really my ulterior motive to doing that. So that's why I got out of coaching. And honestly, I just kind of like the stability of it. And stability is not something the, the Mike Elsons of the world are rare, you yeah, know, no where, where you can find a place and grow your, you know, raise your kids and, and those kind of things. And I just, I just didn't have any desire to continue to do that. The second question, how do you think George O'Leary would have done <laughs> had he not lied on his resume? I think George O'Leary would have would have been a lot like Brian Kelly was his first six years, you know, eight and five, nine and four every year. Good team. Uh, and then the occasional 11, 12 win team. You know, we've got that real veteran team or that great defense. I think he would have had a couple of those. And we saw that kind of at UCF and Georgia Tech. He'd have, you know, <clears throat> good teams. And then occasionally you get the right quarterback, you know, and they had like Joe Hamilton and and right. uh, and you're able to succeed. But I, I don't think he would have been a next level coach. I don't think he could have done the things that Brian Kelly has done the last four years, for example. We wouldn't have seen stretches, in my opinion, like we've seen the last four years. Um, but I think he would have been a more consistent coach. You know, he would have been Bob Davey without the downs, right? Not sexy, not flashy, um, <clears throat> hard-nosed, good defense, run the ball, but they wouldn't have been as inconsistent. They would have been better okay. on offense, right? Okay. That, that would have been the other thing, uh, depending on who he would have hired. So uh, I think he'd have done a solid job had he not uh, – uh, fudge some things on his resume. The third part is why do some coaches change their coaching style that made them so successful? Uh, I.e. what got Kelly to Notre Dame from Cincinnati and central Michigan and grand Valley. I would add to that. The, uh, I think it, it's a, it's a problem that is more unique to Notre Dame than it is anywhere else. And I think a lot of that is because Notre Dame has a, a support system, a, a financial backing system, uh, a coaching and an alumni system. All of it just kind of is about the tradition and I think that the tradition has gotten lost because if you go back and look at Newt Rockney and Frank Leahy, they were innovators, especially Newt Rockney. They were innovators. Oh, yeah. They, and and it, now it's like kind of like, well, you know, you have to do it like Lou did it. No, no, you don't. You have to do it like you think it should be done that, that works for you. And I think that <clears throat> Brian Kelly kind of, I think, fell victim to that a little bit, that pressure of changing who you are to kind of fit what makes Notre Dame Notre Dame. It's a perception that I believe to be a, a, a not a good one. And I think the other part of it, too, is I think the Alabama game changed Brian Kelly. Yep. I think the manner in which they were pounded by Alabama, he said, okay, that's what you got to do. That's what I need to and, be. And yep. he's basically been chasing that ever since. And, and the, the problem is, is that Alabama doesn't even believe that works anymore. You know, I mean, Alabama's now a pass-oriented, you know, pro-style RPO team. And, and I think that the, the reason that was not good for Brian Kelly is because Brian Kelly was an innovative coach. 
you know, he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. I mean, we've talked about this on the show when we talked about, you know, Brian Kelly needing to go back to his roots. You know, he was in a situation where he was doing stuff in 01 and 02 at Grand Valley that you're seeing now. Right. And it was the the tempo, the spacing, the attacking, the running a ton of plays, scoring a lot of points. I mean, there was a two year period. And honestly, had 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 Kurt Ains not got hurt in 2001, Grand Valley probably wins three straight national championships. I agree. Uh, you know, and and they were scoring 40 points a game while doing it. So uh, that's why I've said, you know, get back to your roots, get back to who you are uh, and, and be that guy because, you know, the schemes are going to be different, right? The concepts are going to be different. The formation are going to be different, but the philosophy of aggressiveness, attacking, getting the ball in space, using your receivers, but then they also, they also still averaged over 200 yards a game rushing back then too. So I just think it's, it's, there's different factors for different coaches. I think some coaches can't handle the pressure of it. That was Bob Davey's problem. Yep. Uh, Bob Davey never could find an identity offensively. I think that's another thing that, that coaches who don't have a, found, a core belief system, you have to be willing to succeed or fail on what you believe. The thing about Charlie Weiss is Charlie Weiss was willing to fail doing it the way he believed it was the right way to do it. Uh, I think there were parts of it that were that were good, but the overall philosophy of scheme, 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 scheme is not what you need to do in college. And he failed. But you know what? He never blamed anybody else. He said, look, you, you, I didn't you know, you don't come to Notre Dame to win six games a year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He owned it, you know, and, and it, yeah. it didn't work. But <clears throat> I think too many coaches go away from, you know, what got him here. And I think if Brian Kelly goes back, Brian Kelly's done a lot of great things. If he goes back to sort of that offensive philosophy, again, not scheme, but philosophy that got him here, I think Notre Dame could take that final step. And so I, I think those are the things that have kind of factored into why he made those changes. Um and, and also, I don't think he necessarily had the personnel early on to do some of the things he had. He had big tight ends, Michael Floyd, you know, really yeah. good backs. I think that's part of it, too. But instead of incorporating what he does with the personnel, he just kind of changed mm -hmm. and went away from it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. 
Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I, and I know nobody asked, but I'm going to give my reasoning for get out, getting out of football coaching as well. Uh, it, it was real simple for me. My son's going into high school, and I want to watch him play. Uh, I mean, yeah. pl- plain and simple. Uh, that's impossible when you're coaching other people's kids, and he's only going to be in high school for one time, right? So mm-hmm. um, that was my main reason for getting out of football coaching. Um, I coach baseball, but that's an opposite season from where he does his thing. He's a soccer player and a football player, so he will be – very busy in the fall, which and I'm baseball very doesn't about. take as much it away from the practice field time. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I lay in bed thinking of lineups all the time, but it's not the same as football. It is a completely different animal. So, uh, I mean, I'd probably spent seventy five percent of my time coaching football, watching film. Yeah. Oh, a ton of film. Are you kidding me? I would do yeah. that. You, you don't know, have oh, to yeah. do that as I mean, you do that in baseball. I mean, you watch film. Sure. Baseball. It's not like it's not like not that. in high school. There, there's not a film, a lot of film to watch. And we don't trade film, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot different. But uh, let's see here. Let's go to uh, Samuel Ramirez. Brian, what is your dream wide receiver recruiting 22 class? And what are the most likely wide receivers to end up at Notre Dame? So my dream class involves Caleb Brown. I mean, if we're, if we're, you know, Caleb Brown, I mean, this is kind of like pie in the sky, you know, Caleb Brown, TJ Williams and Tobias Merriweather, right? Like if I'm living the dream, when I come out, I'm actually going to do a dream class next week at irishbreakdown.com. We'll have, we'll actually, I'll do a video about it too. Um, you know, it'll be a little bit more realistic right now. I don't think Notre Dame has much of a chance with Caleb Brown. Uh, they're, I don't even know if they're even recruiting CJ Williams anymore, which is disappointing, but you know, Caleb Brown right now, Michigan and, and Ohio State, especially Ohio State, are, are leading for him. Notre Dame is way behind, and um, I don't see them being able to make it up. But I do think there's a realistic opportunity for them to to flip Caleb Saunders, who is currently okay. committed to Penn State. He is from a similar uh, style as Caleb Brown, just not quite as big and strong and, and powerful, but very explosive athletically. He is a wide receiver from Ohio. Uh, if they can flip him, that would be huge because you know he brings he brings a big time speed element to the game. He would be a game changer. Tobias Merriweather's an interesting two one for me, Vince. Is I do think Notre Dame has a shot there. It's going to be tough to get him away from the West Coast, but they have a shot there. He is a gazelle. He is a six four, lanky, long. You know, one of those guys that you don't think he's running as fast as he's actually running because he's just got that long stride. Uh, and then he pulls away from you, you know, and great ball skills. I mean, as a sophomore, I was just really impressed with him. And I usually don't love sophomore film, which has made evaluating the 2022 class so, so hard. challenging yeah, because so hard. a lot of these guys didn't play as junior, as sophomore. So, right. But Tobias Merriweather is just one of those. He fits what Notre Dame does, what Notre Dame likes in that boundary position, that 6-4, one-on-one. But he's kind of got the vertical skills that you also need that he could be a guy that you can stretch the field with as well. And so if you can get him and you can get a Caden Saunders in the class as like a one-two punch, and then there's some guys like Tyler Morris from Illinois that you could look at. Notre Dame, I think, is trailing Michigan right now, but they're right there in it. Uh, If you can add an Andre Green, an Eli King, somebody like that to go with it, with those two, that would be great. But right now, I'm not sure how good I feel about them putting a great receiver class together because everything I'm hearing is just the work being put in by the receivers coach has been really inconsistent. You know, uh, there's a receiver from Georgia that's a really good player that Brian Kelly reached out to, Tommy Reese was reaching out to, and then it kind of got passed off to the receivers coach, and the kid was like, yeah, I never heard from him again. 
And this is a top 150 kind of player that likes Notre Dame. So th- there's a little bit of that going on, and and that's, a, to me, the disappointing part. But there's still a chance for them to recover. And, and part of the reason that there's a chance for them to recover is because from what I've been told, Tommy Reese is putting in a lot of work with the wide receivers, and that's a positive. Is, Yay. I mean, I have yet to hear from a receiver that hasn't in some point in time heard from Tommy Reese to a not just not even just like a hey I'm Tommy Reese nice to meet you but there's a level of consistency and, and that's a positive I, I'm I've been very happy to hear that about coach Reese uh that he is being involved with so many of these receivers I think some of them they've just backed out because they know I'm not winning that one uh without a lot of work and they're just not willing to that's the one disappointing thing there's another name with some of these kids especially on offense th- this last class they're just not willing to go to battle with some of those elite kids with those elite schools and so they're not going to get those guys but that that would say some some form of Caden Saunders Tobias Merriweather uh would be a great one-two punch as far as a realistic dream class you know and if they can then pull a rabbit out of a hat with somebody else then that would make for a phenomenal class but I think more of a Tyler Morris type of guy would be a little bit more realistic right now at this time so we've got an offline question from Sham Gel our guy uh break down the quarterbacks offered for the 22 class, how do they compare to what is already on the roster? So, first of all, Notre Dame offered Drew Aller yesterday, which I was thrilled about. We've You've been talking about, about him, him for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is an interesting kid because if you're someone who likes player comps, he's Josh Allen from the Bills, right? Like, super raw prospect. Like, okay. you know, he's a guy that, as a quarterback's coach, I would love because there's so much. He's like a wild stallion, you know, and you got to break him first. <laughs> but when you do, boy, he's going to be something special. Yeah. 6'5", 220, prototype NFL size, that you know, the, the, that that prototype size, I think, which I don't think is as relevant anymore. But if you can find it, great. Yeah, right. It's just not to me as needed as you right. as you uh, as it was 15, 20 years ago. Big, big time arm. But he's also sort of a modern quarterback in that he's not like a 6'5", drops in the pocket, hit your reads, make your throws, which is kind of how I see Steve Angeli. Steve Angeli is a traditional pocket passer this kid is more of a gunslinger this kid will throw three quarters over the top sidearm off platform and he's just a he's a gunslinger he understands touch he will hit touch i watched him uh in uh, the the one full game i watched he bangs a, a corner route from maybe 15 20 yards for a touchdown from the far hash now the far hash in high school is a lot farther than the far hash in college and just floats it right over top, hits, just drops it in. I mean, it was just a gorgeous throw. He's real raw, though. I mean, that's the thing you have to understand is you may not see it on on the highlights, but when you watch him in games, you're like, he'll sail a couple. And you're like, oh, boy, you know, you got put a little bit too much mustard on that one. And and he'll rush this through his reach because he's still a, an up-and-coming quarterback. I, I think he only started like maybe half of his sophomore year, and then, of course, he's played 10 games this year. So he's still developing, but you just can't find this kind of physical talent very often and this is a kid that's been on campus in Notre Dame in the past likes Notre Dame so my hope is that they can make a hard push for him because if they were to land if he wanted to commit tomorrow he's a take uh Steve Angeli for me is not a take uh right now you'd I'd want to see how some other guys perform Ty Simpson's the another kid they offered he's not coming to Notre Dame Uh, all the crystal balls at 247 sports are for Alabama a week before that they were all for Clemson that's kind of who the battle is Notre Dame's not in that one they waited too late and I'm okay because I'm not as in love with Ty Simpson as the national recruiting services are. I don't know if his skill set's going to 
translate as well. I'd rather have Drew Aller or my other favorite quarterback in this class, which is Gavin Wimsett from Kentucky. Right. Yeah, I know now, there's an article on uh, irishbreakdown.com about Wimsett. Right. Uh, I did a breakdown of him. Yeah. And, right. and he's again, he's a raw kid, you know, needs some needs some polish, but he's more polished than Drew Aller. Uh, you know, really loose arm, live arm. He also can throw off platform, but he's more of a natural pocket passer, I think, right now than Drew Aller. And the thing I love about Gavin Wimsett is I had somebody say, you know, is he a lot like Brandon Wimbush? And I was like, no, not at all, because Brandon Wimbush to me in college was a runner first, thrower second. Gavin Wimsett is just a he's a quarterback that happens to be really athletic. And what I like about that is he'll run around, but he's he's always got his eyes downfield looking to throw. He's not that guy that, okay, if it breaks down, kind of like Lamar Jackson was coming out of high school. You know, Lamar had to had to learn to kind of sit in the pocket, go through your progressions, make sure. your throws. And when he did that at Louisville, he was a really, really good quarterback. I mean, he was a, a tremendous, tremendous talent. Well, Gavin already kind of has that natural feel of he wants to throw it first, but if it breaks down, he'll take off running. Okay. And a lot of his runs in high school, uh, a lot of his production are on scrambles from pass plays. It's not designed runs. So he's not a guy you're going to call 15 power reads and read zones for. You know, he's more of a RPO. When he, He's more of a, from an athletic standpoint, more of like an Ian Book type. He's a better athlete than Ian Book was, but more of a, he want, he's going to throw it in a lot of his production. Like Ian Book ran for a lot of yards in Notre Dame. Not a lot of it was on like designed quarterback yeah. runs. It was scrambles. And and I think that's that's where I think Gavin Wimsett would fit that, but he just has better overall arm talent. Now, he doesn't have the power as a thrower that Drew Aller has because Drew Aller has a bazooka. Gavin Wimsett doesn't have that kind of arm talent, but he's it's plenty good enough. I mean, he's got a strong arm. It's just not that that cannon that Brandon Wimbush. That's another reason I don't think he compares to Brandon. Brandon Wimbush had a bazooka for an arm. He just did, couldn't always harness it the way you need it. Sure. I think Gavin Wimsett would be a lot easier to harness his talent because there's so much natural. He just, you know, you watch guys, Vince, and you're like, this kid's really raw mechanically, but this kid was just born to play quarterback, right? Like, he just gets it. It just, he's sure. a natural, he's smart, he has a feel for it. That's Gavin Wimsett to me. You get him with the right quarterbacks coach who can work on footwork and timing and, and progressions and all that, he's got a chance to be a special player. And he's a top 50 ranked kid, too. So, you know, to me, they have two quarterbacks on the board right now that have offers that if you if they wanted to commit right now, I'd take it. And that's Drew Aller and Gavin Wimsett. If one of those two guys wanted to come, I'd take them right now. There's one other quarterback they haven't offered that I think they should offer, and that's Sam Horn. from, from He's from the state of Georgia. He is a top 50 caliber player, too. He has a lot of interest in Notre Dame. They're sort of still sort of in the feeling him out process. I don't know if they're going to recruit him or not. He is a pure pocket passer. To me, he is a – he is a, a better, stronger armed, a little bit more athletic. He's definitely more athletic version of Mac Jones in high school. Okay. Uh, when I say Mac Jones, I'm referring to sort of that style of play. Right. But, but better physical tools and really smart kid plays against, I mean, the best competition. They played Grayson twice last year, you know, once in the playoffs, once in the regular season. Grayson's a powerhouse down there. So he plays big time high school football. The only thing I don't like about him is he wears number 21. And I just have this thing about quarterbacks that wear numbers in the 20s. But he's a Weird. natural quarterback. He is a pure passer, smart. His timing as a, as a sophomore and junior, as a thrower, Vince, is way beyond his years. You okay. know, just his ability to anticipate guys coming open, getting the ball out on time. And he's kind of got that thin body that once he fills out a little bit and gets into a college weight room, you're going to see a jump in his arm talent or arm strength as well. 
Uh, but that's the other quarterback that I would offer and throw into the mix. And then for me, if it was up to me, you push for those three kids and you take the first one that wants to come. That, okay. That's kind of how I would look at it. So you say, which guy do you want? <laughs> any of them. You know, so so Aller, Wimsett, or Horn, you give me any of those three guys in this class, that's big time. Because what I feel, feel Notre Dame needed in this class is a guy that can challenge the guys already on campus. Yep. Say, well, well, Tyler Buckner's the future. Well, so then you're not going to take a guy that maybe might be better than him someday. That's what you want. But the other part of it is that I like about Aller and Wimsett is if you take a super high ceiling player that needs more time to develop, then that's that's perfect. Yeah. Because now they can, you know, if Tyler Buckner is the guy, and I think most people anticipate that he will be, he plays as a freshman. This kid comes in a year later when Tyler Buckner's a sophomore, this kid red shirts, and then when Tyler Buckner's a junior, this kid's a red shirt freshman. Right. right. That's great time, great spacing for those two kids. So um that that is kind of how uh Cham Joe, that's how I would break down the quarterback board. So uh, I was kind of sifting through the questions here, and since we're talking about the quarterbacks in that 22 class, uh, Nick wants to know, he'd be interested to hear your thoughts on Notre Dame's chances with Aller. It, who, who's the competition that you're aware of? What, what are Notre Dame's chances? I know you said you'd take them, mm-hmm. but who are they competing against? I think they have a very good chance. I mean, his offer list, Vince, has really just started to take off. Okay. Um, Penn State, I think, is a legit contender for him. But they also offered relatively recently. Michigan is going to be a contender for him. Obviously, Michigan does well with Ohio kids. They also offered relatively recently. So I think Notre Dame needed to get into the mix quickly. They were about two weeks away from being too late. So I'm glad that they offered when they – I would have liked to see them offer earlier, but that's fine. I mean, you're still in a relatively early window. I'm glad they did their due diligence or whatever. But um, they offered, and they and I think they're going to be a legit player. If okay. like, It's not a situation where, like, I think he's going to commit tomorrow, but – Right, you know, but if they put on the full court press, they're gonna they're gonna be tough to beat for him. Um, you know, like I said, this is a kid that's visited Notre Dame before. This is a kid that likes Notre Dame. This is a kid that you know I had one conversation with him, and there was a he was he was very um, you know his, his answers were very what you'd want a smart big time quarterback to be. But you can just you know when you've been doing this as long as I have, you, you kind of get a sense of yeah, he's just saying that to because he thinks that's what I want to hear. And then there's a sense you're like, okay, this kid's trying to be guarded, but you can sense there's a there's a, a, a deeper f- connection or emotion behind his comment. Sure. And that's kind of the read that I got from him. But they got to put in the work. They yeah. got to put on the – because Penn State's going to put the full-court press on. Uh, it's a big year for Penn State at quarterback. Big year. And, and he's the kind of guy they want to get. And I was actually a little concerned that – so there was a time when it looked like Texas might try to flip the 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 Ewers kid that's going to Ohio State, the kid from Texas that's the number one player in the country that's committed to Ohio State. If they would have flipped him, that would have made me nervous because then Ohio State would have got in with with Drew Aller. But Texas went and signed a quarter the, that big time quarterback from California, so now Texas is good. They're not going to try to flip that kid, and I don't see anybody else flipping him from Ohio State. So. Uh, I think that that would have been the the biggest concern I would have had if if Ohio State would have thrown their hat in, at in the ring. Okay, here's a fun one for you, Brian from Omar. Uh, what will give first, Brian Kelly's unwillingness to play young <laughs> wide receivers or his unwillingness to play Keys and Wilkins? So we kind of got veterans versus uh, new guys, new kids on the block. Um, I think I think this year we're going to see more of the the younger players, the sophomores, because now they've been in the system a year, and and I think they're going to project enough to where they have to play. Yeah, I think uh, so too. My hope is my hope, Omar, uh, is that they do both. 
You know, I mean, look, I'm a big believer that you can make a five, six man receiver rotation work. I'm a big believer in that. And especially if you have guys that are sort of specialists, you know, like certain guys have certain roles, you know, Braden Lindsay shouldn't have to know 27 different route combinations. I just, I'm there's, you know, 18 of those routes. I'm never going to have them run. Right. So I, I want him specializing in what he does. I want, I want certain guys doing certain things. And so I, you know, get Kevin Austin needs to know it all, right. He's got to have all of it down. George Johnson sure. should know all of it. Agreed. I don't need Xavier Watts in 2021 to know 27 different routes. Eventually. I need Xavier, yeah. But not right. But 21. Right. I need him to do, I need him to know about eight. Right. right. And, and some Absolutely. of those are variations of each other. There's a, a cross, a drag and a deep drag. You know, <laughs> right. That's three routes, but they're the kind of the same thing. Right. Um, yes. Yes, that is correct. And, and so those are the things I think you need to see. Is, and I think that's something that Notre Dame hasn't done a good enough job with to Omar's question, why they haven't got those guys in is, is I feel like they, like one of the things I loved about Clark Lee, and I think we're going to, as, as fans and analysts of Notre Dame are going to like a lot about Marcus Freeman is Clark Lee was really good at saying, okay, this is what this guy does well. So that's what we're going to ask him to do. Right. And we're not going to ask him to do something he's not. Notre Dame's offense is the exact opposite. It's, well, he does these three things really well, but he doesn't know these eight other things, so we can't play him at all. And and I just think that's a really poor way of going about your business. And especially in today's era of football where most guys aren't staying four or five years, you know. Uh, You redshirted Tony Jones. I mean, if if there was ever going to be a running back to stay for a fifth year, it was Tony Jones, right? And he still didn't stay for five years, you know. Yep. You redshirt Kyron Williams in 2019. Well, all that's going to mean is you only get him for two years instead of using him for three. You know, so those are the things that I look at, and 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 I think that they need to be start using guys. Hey, this is what this kid does well, so let's find a way for him to use that. And if there are some other ways that maybe we can do to to create that, like you know, you got a slot receiver that you know you offered to play quarterback. Have some fun with it, right? Use it. Give team yeah. something to think about. You know. Uh, you know, but, but I think that's kind of what, what we need to see more of. And to Omar's question, I think if we see that, then, then the answer to his question will be both, but you know, we got to see it first. So Matty K has, uh, by his own, uh, admission, a funky question. So here we go. Uh, so he says funky question. So stick with me. Is there a scenario where Notre Dame say decides on cone as a starter, but the offense includes packages for Buckner, uh, kind of like what Georgia did with Justin, Justin Fields. Fields. That's what JF stands for. Um, I would hope so. I think that would be ideal, Yeah, to be honest with you. I, I love that potential scenario. I, I think I, I think Cone is, is – you would be fine with him as your starter. I've seen enough film of him. Um, it can, if he's healthy, obviously, that, that's the big if. But I think he is. Uh, I, I think having him as a starter is fine. But you need to work in – uh, Buckner or whoever your number two is, whoever that ends up being, you need to work them in. You need to get them in for quality reps. And whether that's a package situation mm-hmm. like they did with Ian Book when he was, uh, you know, he did the, uh, you know, he was the red zone guy who handed mm-hmm. off uh, a bunch, you know, which was glorious. Um, but uh, so whether it's a package thing or whether it's a drive thing or whatever the case may be, he needs to be in there when, when the game is still a game. And however they do that, it needs to happen. I think that would be the ideal scenario for Notre Dame in 21. Yeah, I, I don't know if I want him focusing on running as much, maybe as Georgia did with Justin Fields. Uh, sure. 
I get that. Where that's kind of what he was. I mean, when he came in in some of those games, he was just kind of a runner. I don't know if, and I don't know if Maddie is necessarily asking specifically for the same type that Georgia ran, but just more of a hey, they get him in on a series here and there as sort of a change of pace. I, I think it makes a lot of sense because here's the other thing: if Tyler Buckner is as good as we think he is, I mean, he's a talented kid, but you have to prepare for him a lot differently than you did adjust a Justin Fields package in 2018 or even a Tim Tebow package. Yeah. You know, with with Florida back in 2006 when, yes. when Chris Leak was a starter and they Chris brought him Leak. in, you kind of yes. knew what Tim Tebow was going to do. I think with Tyler Buckner, you can have enough of a five or six pass concepts, run some RPOs and some read zones where you got to worry about him throwing the football too. And and it has nothing to do with Jack Cohn, why I believe this. It's just that's how good Tyler Buckner I believe him to be. I also don't think because of his circumstances, which were out of his, his control, he couldn't control a knee injury in, in the opener of, of 2018 – just like he couldn't control you know, the decision not to play high school football in the state of California this year. So it's not like anything he's done, but sure. the circumstances are that he just hasn't played a lot of football. Yeah. So I don't necessarily want him being the starter unless he's just far more advanced than, than, I, you know, than I would anticipate having played so little. I just think an idea of working him into games and allowing him an opportunity to develop as a player while also saying Jack Cohn's our guy. You know what I mean? Yes. Jack's the guy. Now, if – Tyler Buckner gets out there and he's just killing, t- I mean, just crushing teams, then you play him more. I mean, Absolutely. you always play the best guy. You know, if, if Trevor Lawrence had, I mean, part of the reason Trevor Lawrence got the start against Syracuse in 2018 was because when he got in the game, he played really well. Yeah. You know, when he got in against Texas A&M is in the first game of his career, Kelly Bryant was a starter, but Trevor got in through some ball and he had some great throws, you know? So, I mean, eventually it was just kind of like, it's so obvious that this guy's better than Kelly Bryant, you know? Um, and it's time to make that move. If that happens, then great, but it doesn't have to happen. You know, right, if, if right. it's a package you take throughout the season, <laughs> then I'm all for that. But I also think that that it's one of those things where, you know, if Jack Cohn is your guy, then maybe there are some games where you don't use Tyler Buckner in that package. You know, maybe if you're getting ready to go play, you know, a team where it's like, hey, look, this is going to be a battle, and 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 we need to make sure or, – or Jack Cohn comes out and he's just smoking – you know, maybe you don't utilize that as much. Sure. You know, except maybe in red zone or short yardage. So there's all types of things they could do. The point being, though, Maddie, is I think Notre Dame needs to do what you're asking, which is they need Get to find a way. Unless he's just emotionally and mentally not ready to step on the field, there's always that. But I don't think that's going to be Tyler. Anyone that knows Tyler Buckner at all is not going to be worried about his mental preparedness for this sure. stage. I don't think that's going to be an affect him at all, especially with him being an early enrollee. He's going to have all spring to work out any kinks any, that he might need. I think by the time we get to the fall, it's going to be very hard to justify him not playing uh, in situations that aren't mop-up minutes. And I would say that's true even if you know Drew Pine beats out Jack Cohen. I don't care who the quarterback is. Right, that's what I'm saying. You, you, yes, I agree. Tyler Buckner's two town, and, and it's the same thing that we sh- that was said in 2018. If you want to keep Ian Book as your starter, fine. But if you're not finding a role for number 15, I'm sorry. That kid's too talented not to find a role for. Yeah, there's a reason he's in another uniform now. Yeah. Well, not, I mean, it's a I, lot more complicated than that. But like, I the know, point but is, part if, of it. If you would have used him, I don't know if he would have. He didn't leave because he wasn't used. But had you used him, he wouldn't have left. There you go. That, that, that's, but that's the point I'm making. Right. Yes. Thank you. Right. All right. Uh, I'm going to throw up a compliment because I like to have my back padded. All right. <laughs> Matt says, happy bur- happy Friday, fellas. First off, I appreciate you both for your professional insight and kick ace attitudes. I like that. And Matt, of course, also comes with a question. Super excited about this quarterback room this year. A lot of ta- 
a lot of talent in this group. What wide receiver, though, do we see step up this year and take the role of being Mr. Hands? So first of all, I want to say something about uh, about Matt Lambert. Matt is a new father, so Vince he has joined oh. the fatherhood team. So uh, congratulations to him. That's he has awesome. a he has a little guy that looks just like his mother, and so that is good for the baby's future. Okay, uh, I, but I uh, Matt Matt's a, Matt is a new dad, so Matt congratulations and thank you for taking time out of what I know is probably an incredibly <laughs> busy schedule to join us for the chat today. So he's got us in the background as he's doing other dad things. I'm sure. Yes. So, yes. For you, yes, Matt, yes. that's awesome. Fatherhood um, is. It, it, I wouldn't know. I, I, my, my dogs are of the four and three legged kind. So well, um, you're part of our family. My, yeah. my kids look up to you too. That's so there true. you go. Yeah, Cloud, <laughs> I, I can sort semi adopt your daughter. Um, so anyway, the, as far as this question, what receiver do you see stepping up this year and taking on the role of Mr. Hands? I'm hoping it's Kevin Austin. That was I mean, mine. that's my hope. Uh, yes. Kevin Austin has tremendous ball skills. You know, he has the kind of, and we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it in practice events. We we didn't see it in games because the opportunity wasn't there, although he had a nice sideline catch against Wake Forest in 2018. But we've seen it in practice. I mean, him oh. and Jerkovic, that, that last spring, uh, I think it was the spring before the 2019 season, him and Phil Jerkovic used to just – I felt so bad for the second-team defense because they just used to just brutalize the defense. Yep. I mean, Jerkovic would just put it, like, right on the back shoulder and Kevin Austin would, like, be running, and you're like, oh, he's not going to – he doesn't see the ball. And then he would just kind of flip his hips real quick and make this side, this back shoulder grab. You're like, that partner partnership was tremendous. And then I remember his first fall camp when he, he out-jumped Dante Vaughn in the end zone for about a 15, 20-yard fade route, and you're like, well, that's some – that's some special ups and length right there. So, I mean, he is a kid that to me has the hands and ball skills to be, you know, part Miles Miles Boykin. But then he also has some of the after the catch ability that that and some of the vertical speed that I think that Chase Claypool brought to the table. Because even though Miles Boykin ran a great forty time, he didn't play as fast as Chase Claypool, in my opinion. He was more he played more like a true big receiver, which is why I think partly he's struggling to have some separation issue in the NFL. He's not quite the dynamic athlete. He tested well, but te- athletics, that doesn't always translate to the football field. Right. He was fast enough to, to make some really big plays, but Chase was more of a, a smaller receiver trapped in a big guy's body, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought some of that. And so I think Kevin kind of is more of a mix of those two, but he's more like Chase Claypool than he is Miles Boykin from a style of play standpoint. He's just not right. as big as Chase was. Sure. But I think that's the guy that I'm hoping – uh, steps up because if it's not him then I think you know another guy to, to keep an eye on is Jordan Johnson he's yep. another guy with tremendous ball skills uh very strong hands ability he's just got glue for hands I mean he really can and he can outplay people for the ball we saw this in high school uh, I've seen a couple clips of it in practice and and I've heard from a lot of different people that he's just I mean it doesn't matter if you're on him or not you just the quarterback throws it in his direction he's going to go get it and he just makes tremendously freaky plays in practice so I think the tools are there. He just needs an opportunity to go out and do it on Saturdays. Well, and and that was my one too as well. And and I'm I have Austin above Johnson just because he's been there longer. He's the older guy. I kind of want him to be the alpha male, it, uh, you know, in this category because I still want to bring Jordan Johnson along. Not that I don't think Jordan Johnson could be that guy because I think he could be. I just want to see Austin kind of take that that leadership role, that that kind of alpha dog roll a little bit and then let Jordan Johnson come in a little bit behind him. But again, Johnson could be that guy. Sure. He absolutely could be. I just, 
that's the way I'd well, like to see it play. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I, I think Jordan Johnson was ranked higher coming out of high school than Kevin Austin, but number one, Kevin Austin's two years older. Uh, and number two, I ranked Kevin – I graded Kevin Austin as even higher than Jordan Johnson. Um, sure. I like Jordan Johnson. He was a top 50 caliber player, but to me, Kevin Austin was a, was a, a different cat. He had – I would say as much upside as any receiver Notre Dame has signed in the Brian Kelly era. It's just there are things, some uh, some in his control, some outside of control that have kept him off the field. But the talent is there. Um, and, and as you mentioned, it, it's also there in a bigger package. You know, Jordan Johnson, sure. maybe, he's maybe an inch, inch and a half taller than Jordan Johnson, but there's a lot there's a lot more meat on him and a lot more strength on him than, than what Jordan has, just normally, much less when you compare the difference in how long they've been in the strength program. So – I would agree with that, but to me, it's like if Kevin Austin gets hurt again or isn't ready or or doesn't step up or whatever else, you know, Jordan Johnson, I think should should be get the opportunity to fill that role. And you know, for me, too, Vince, that's why you keep recruiting great receivers every year. Yes. So there should got be it. no excuse for hey, this guy got hurt. Okay, ne- next dude that we recruited, step in. Right. You know, right. get your shot. So no that's what I'm looking for. Uh, since this is alive, we get to answer some fun questions. So I'm going to throw Tommy's up there. Uh, how does Vince manage everything on his plate? Uh, I have a, I have a very uh, understanding wife and a very understanding partner in Brian because he is able to uh, find my windows so that we can do uh, all this fun stuff together with Irish Breakdown. But uh, like I've got a radio basketball game to do tonight, and uh, obviously I'm at school and family and everything else. But it's very carefully. I like being busy, and that's okay. Uh, but I appreciate that, Tommy, and that you that you see that and you understand that. That makes me feel good. All right, Nick, coming in hot here with uh, a tight end recruiting question. Despite Jack Nichols' commitment, ND has offered a few other tight ends. Do you see Raritan as a possible X receiver? Could they see Mitchell Evans as an offensive lineman getting to campus? So a couple of those tight ends maybe moving positions, Brian. I do not see Scott uh, Scott Rar- or Sc- Scott Raritan. Look at me. I'm calling him by his dad's name. Uh, I do not see Eli Raritan as an X receiver. I don't think he has the the speed. I think his skill set would diminish as an X receiver. Having said that, he's a tight end who you can do certain things with, including occasionally putting him outside and allowing him to match up because he's so big. I mean, he's six 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 seven. Definitely got his dad's length. That's for sure. Um, and, and of course there's also a, another tight end that was recently decommitted from Penn state that they're making a push for. And I believe, I believe it was Tom Loy at two, four, seven sports recently put a crystal ball in for him to, to Notre Dame. So, uh, you know, I, I'm really curious what's going on at tight end because you've got, like you said, you've got Mitchell Evans in last year's class. I don't think Mitchell Evans is a guy that they recruited to play offensive line. Uh, now, could it happen? Sure. Because, you know, one thing about Mitchell Evans, he showed up on campus every bit of 6'7", you know, probably 6'6", 240. But he looks like he's 12 years old. I mean, if you ever seen a picture of Mitchell Evans, he looks like he's a little kid. I mean, and what I mean by that is he's like Michael Mayer showed up on campus looking like a grown 23-year-old man. I mean, right, exactly. what, the, the point being is like when you look at some kids, they got the baby face, they've got, you know, the the build of He's got a very young body, which means you get that guy in, in Matt Bayless' strength program, who knows what's going to happen. You sure. know, I mean, he could he could add 60 pounds, and you're not even trying to add 60 pounds, and it just naturally takes care of itself. I don't, however, think that's their objective, at least early on. Uh, could it happen? Sure. Do I hope it happens? No, because then I think that'd be a wasted scholarship, and now you sign six offensive linemen in one class. And two of them are huge projects, and another one is just sort of a depth guy, you know. So 
that to me would not be an ideal situation. I'm just curious. I, I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I just have, there's got to be something more that we're not necessarily seeing or being told about the tight end recruiting. Cause it looks like from my understanding is they wouldn't necessarily pass on either uh, Stace or Raritan. Yeah. Which is like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You're not going to take three tight ends in a class, even if you have Mitchell Evans moving to offensive line. So I'm very curious to kind of see what happens here. And um, and that's that's all I'm going to say, because like I said, I don't want to speculate too much on, on that, because that may be unfair, because it would be speculation. It's not something I'm told. But I, I do think there's more to this that eventually is going to become clear over the next month or two. DJ has an interesting question here. He says, what position group do you think could hold the offense back other than coaching? I don't think, I don't think there is one. And and so, so to me, there isn't one now. Now let me say this. If Notre Dame runs the offense that they did this past couple years, especially in 2020, then the offensive line will hold the offense back. Right. But again, I still view that as a coaching problem because if Notre Dame went to more of a tempo, uh, you know, not again, when I say tempo, I do not mean they're going to look like Chip Kelly's Oregon team in 2010. Right. That's not right. what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just a, a normal tempo uh, RPO based team where you take some of the pressure off the line with your scheme, with your perimeter pass game, with those type of things. This offensive line is going to be just fine. If you ask them to play the same way you did last year with a group of guys that had 140 career starts, then, yeah, you're setting them up to fail. And even though most fans will probably look at and say, you know, the offensive line struggled, it's a coaching problem because you're asking the offensive line to do things you should not ask the offensive line to do. Take some of that pressure off of them schematically with your tempo, with your perimeter pass game, with those types of things, and and I think they'll flourish. So, um, And and as far as like kind of that next-level offensive line, we did a one-on-one interview yesterday with Robert Hainsey for on the website. It's on the website, podcast, and YouTube. Which was awesome, by the way. One of the things he talked about at the very end of that interview was he talked about Andrew Kristoffick, Quinn Carroll, and Tosh Baker and kind of what he sees from them. So um, he's very high on them. He talked about even one of those guys maybe switching positions and thinking that you know, guard may end up being his best position. So it was a very interesting conversation. He was It was so fun to see him outside of the Notre Dame environment, yeah. just talking and, and yeah. really sharp kid. But yeah, I yeah. think back to the question that, that DJ asked, I think it would be offensive line would be the thing that holds them back. But ultimately, I would still point that back to a coaching issue. I think there's going to be enough talent on the offensive line that if you protect them this year the way that you can schematically, and a lot of teams do now schematically, uh, they're going to have more talent in their offensive line next year than North Carolina had in 2020. And they put up almost 600 yards a game. So I, I think that I don't think there should be anything holding them back talent wise, barring major injuries. You know, I mean, if, right. If, if Kyron Williams goes down and Chris Tyree, you know, pulls up, you know, with a bad injury, then okay. Yeah. Running back could, could end up being a little bit of an issue. You know, if, if Michael Mayer goes down or, you know, there's always that part of it. Right. But I think even then Notre Dame has the depth where there's not one injury that could happen that would just crush their rotation. That, that would be, have to be multiple injuries. Right. Well, Brian, it's uh, the, the clock says two. So I have to run because I have to uh, feed myself before I have to go back and mold some mines. So I am going to hand it off to you. I'm going to give you the proverbial handoff here uh, and let you take it home for us. 
And uh, But I've really enjoyed this, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the week. There is no question about it. And I can't wait to jump back on next Friday when we do this again. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, we'll let Brian uh, steer the ship home. But, uh, Brian, I will talk to you later, sir. Thanks, Vince. So uh, Matt Romero here asked a question uh, to me. BK is always looking at top programs and saying, what are they doing? Then emulating that aside from run first to, st to and saddle line. I don't see his true identity. Prove me wrong. I, I think, Matt, that's there. There's something to that. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that he's always looking at top programs and doing saying, what are they doing? Because if he was doing that, then we'd see him make the changes that, that we've talked about. Because look at Clemson, look at Alabama, look at LSU. They're all doing the things that Coach Kelly's been reluctant to do. I think it's been chasing that Bama team that did to him in 2012 what they did to him. Uh, so, you know, I, I hope that he would kind of look at those teams and emulate it. But I do think there's something to the true identity part. I think that that Coach Kelly is trying to establish an identity that I think at his core is not really who he is. I think he is he is at his core a, a an aggressive coach. And that's why I don't think what he's doing now works as, as well. I think what he's doing now is geared more towards we have better players than most teams we play, so let's make sure we're conservative and not turning the ball over, not doing things that might give a Pitt or a Northwestern or a Louisville a chance to upset us. It's about winning those games and then kind of accepting the fact that, hey, we can't beat those big teams. I think they can, and that's why I think the, the changes that they need to make need to be made. Uh, but but I, I think that – I do think there's – they have an identity. It's physical downhill football. I think that if they make the changes that I would call for, that's part of the reason I think Notre Dame can make those changes because I think that part of your identity doesn't have to change. If you go tempo and, and try to create a more efficient, explosive pass attack, that doesn't mean you can't be physical and can't run a football. I think it actually makes your run game even better. So I think he's got a foundation that they can build upon. It's just you need to expand upon that foundation if you want to take that next step as a program. Mule Skinner asks, what do you expect with Jack Cohn as the starting quarterback? More of an emphasis in the run game for this year. Um, I don't. I, I think that we'll see an emphasis on the run game, but not because of Jack Cohn or his – skill set requiring that i think if we see that it'll because brian kelly wants to keep doing what they've been doing i think jack cone is a very smart quarterback i think jack cone doesn't have a big arm but he's got a very quick release he's accurate his his understanding of anticipation going through progressions getting the ball out on time and he's a guy that'll take some chances i mean i've seen him make throws at at wisconsin where he's got one-on-ones and he'll take that back shoulder attempt and he didn't have the weapons at wisconsin that he's going to have at notre dame so um, if they went to more of a, I mean, look to me physically, I think he could execute what Alabama did this year. He's got enough arm talent to attack the ball down the field. I mean, he's not going to throw 60 yard bomb post routes, but that doesn't have to be a part of what you do. He can attack vertically. He can attack down the field on the outside. He can attack over the middle. He can throw the deep drags. He can throw the back shoulders. He can throw go routes in one-on-one -on -one situations. So you know, and with his intelligence, I think he could lead a more tempo offense that is geared around a, an efficient and effective and explosive pass game. I, I don't think his skill set is not limiting to that. I think if we see a conservative offense again, it's going to be because that's what Brian Kelly wants, not necessarily what what Jack Cohn has to do. Um, so let's go ahead down here. Uh See, Ed asks, uh, does Reese have the ability to develop great quarterbacks or should Indy bring in a great specialist to work with quarterbacks? I, I honestly, I, Ed, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. I don't know if Tommy Reese is able to develop great quarterbacks because we haven't seen him do it. 
I don't think I think the I think he missed a chance with Phil Dracovic to do that. Um, I think he did a good job developing Ian Book in a lot of ways. There's some other ways, not so much. But again, I think that had more to do with Brian Kelly than it did with Ian Book. And I, or, I mean, Tommy Reese. And I, I think the other thing that's challenging is the things that have held the Notre Dame quarterbacks back over the last decade have been true no matter who coaches the quarterbacks, whether it's Charlie Molnar, whether it's Chuck Martin, whether it was Matt LaFleur, uh, whether it was. Uh, you know, um, Mike Sanford, it, it really hasn't changed. It's It's been a, a, an issue that I think goes much deeper than whoever the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator is and goes into Brian Kelly and how he handles quarterbacks. But, you know, I think Tommy Reese is a really smart co- coach. And and I know I've been critical of, of him being hired as the offensive coordinator when he was, but I, I've never doubted his ability as a coach. I've talked to sources that that at Notre Dame that that are pretty honest guys who've been critical of, of parts of the program that say, look, Tommy's got tremendous knowledge and, and talent as a coach. I think he still needs to evolve uh, like every young coach. I mean, when you're when I was a young coach, there were parts of the game that came naturally to me because I had experience either as a player or a young coach in it. And there were other concepts and philosophies that were kind of new to me that I had to kind of experience with to go through it. And that's why I think you see Tommy Reese more comfortable with an Ian Book than he was with a Phil Dracovic because he is more used to that Ian Book style. So to me, that next step for him is being able to develop more of a an outside-the-box quarterback, a more mobile quarterback, a quarterback that was unlike him as a player. And I think that is going to be the next step. But I have confidence in Coach Reese. I do. Uh, I, I think he's only going to get better. And I am really curious to kind of see what this year is because this is an opportunity for him to develop a veteran and a young player at the same time. And that, to me, is ultimately what determines being a great developer of quarterbacks is Coaches who are able to put a new quarterback in year after year and thrive, like Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, it's because of the development you also put in when they're not the starter. And that's something that Notre Dame has really struggled with at all positions on offense, other than the offensive line under Harry Heastand is, can you develop the entire depth chart? Because that's why you see these, these ebbs and flows at at Notre Dame with certain positions, because you know, why you're building your offense around Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool, you're not developing the younger guys. And when those guys are gone, you act like you don't have anybody ready to play. Well, that's because you didn't do a good enough job developing those guys to get them ready to play. Uh, Mule Skinner kind of has a statement. Drew, Drew Pine will challenge Tyler Buckner in the years to come. I hope so. I'm all for uh, I'm all for um, battles in, in those situations. Um, here's a question, Matty K. Uh, 55 asks, also, are there situations where if Notre Dame does make the philosophy changes, could they really change it up and maybe put Styles Jr. or Lindsey in the backfield for certain packages? Styles more so than Lindsey. I would not want Braden Lindsey kind of in that role. He's just proven to be a little bit more of a of a perimeter speed space player. I don't know if he has the body that I want pounding. I think Lorenzo Styles has a similar body size to Braden Lindsey, but he's a he's more physical, stronger. Uh, I watched a game this year. They were playing one of their crosstown rivals. I think it was Pickerington North. And they put him in the backfield, and he runs through the hole, and there's this safety or linebacker right in the hole, and he just puts his shoulder down and runs through him. I mean, it's, 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 it's an impressive play. And then you watch him at corner, and he's extremely physical corner. So I think you could do that. But to me, the guys I'd rather have do that are the bigger, the bigger, more elusive guys than the speed guys. I'd rather see an Avery Davis do that. I'd rather see um, – Xavier Watts do that but but even then those things are fun and I'd like to see Notre Dame do some of that stuff but that's not your bread and butter right like that's you're not beating Alabama because you did that 15 times in a game it's just one of those things where it's just 
it's more of a philosophy of being creative, willing to do different things. One week it may be the wildcat. The next week it may be a, a throwback pass to your tight end. I mean, you know, there's just all types of different things that you need to do to kind of keep defenses off balance. And that's just so much an important part of modern football that that we just don't see enough of from Notre Dame. You know, we, we saw a little bit of this from Chip Long. I think of the reverse he had against uh, USC last year. Uh, you know, I think of that rollout throwback pass to Alizé Mack for a touchdown against Stanford a couple years ago. We saw more of that. Uh, I would like to see even even a little bit more of that now. But, you know, I, I think we need to see those things from Notre Dame. And it's just, if anything, it just gives the, the offense something to prepare for. It keeps your guys excited and engaged. You know, hey, coach, let me make this throw. And then you go out and practice it in, the, in practice just to appease the guy. And then if he makes it play, you you go out and you maybe you put it in. So uh, those those are things I think Notre Dame just needs to be more of an outside-the-box team just because you've got the talent to do it. So take advantage of it. John A1 asked, which players need to physically mature the most to have a chance to compete? Uh, examples, obviously, Tosh Baker, Alexander Berger, or another player. I think Tosh Baker is the big one. Uh, this is exactly what Robert Hainsey brought up. So check out that interview I did with Robert Hainsey. But you know, his his comment to me was he thinks Tosh Baker has the highest ceiling of any lineman on the team. But then obviously there's some reservations about he's got to grow that body. He's still really thin. Um, but if he fills out, I think he's got a guy he's got a chance to be a star. I, I, I Tosh Baker was one of the top three or four signees in that offensive class, and that was a great offensive class for me. Um, he's his ceiling is as high as anybody in that class. I mean, he, I would argue, I, I agree with Robert Haynes. I think his ceiling is as high as anybody on the roster. And that's saying something because there's a lot of talented kids on that roster. But Tosh Baker, that combination of six, eight, long arms, strong hands, athleticism, was a, was a pretty skilled basketball player at one of the state of Arizona's best basketball programs. Uh, skilled basketball player, meaning like low post footwork, things like that. He wasn't out there shooting 15 threes a game. And crossing people over. I'm talking about what you'd expect from a big man. So I, I think he's a guy that to me from a needs to physically mature is the number one example for me on offense. I think he's the one guy that that needs still more work, but if if he's able to get it and if it if it if it kind of clicks, he's got a chance to be a he's got that kind of top 15 NFL draft pick type of talent. We just don't know if um you know we right now we don't know uh if if he's ever going to be able to kind of to fill that out, that's the kind of the question marks. Let me let me. Um, here's a question from Christopher Sally. What do you see as Kevin Bauman's role in the offense next year with Tremble going to the NFL? I think Kevin Bauman is going to be in a battle for that number two tight tight end spot, and I think and then and then at that point in time it becomes if you're in the battle for number two, you're also in the battle for number three, and I think Notre Dame is going to use three tight ends again, and there's certainly a, a reason for that and good call for that, and. To me, I think Kevin Bauman's in that conversation. I've heard a lot of good things about him. I've heard his development has been good. He's a good blocker. He's a good pass catcher. He's you know he's not the athlete that that maybe a Michael Mayer is. He's not as big as Michael Mayer. Or excuse me, he's not the athlete Tommy Tremble was. He's not as big as Michael Mayer. He's a good football player, and and he's going to have a chance to to win that number two job. Now it's going to be tough because you've got George Takis on campus. You've got Kane Barron coming in as a true freshman. I've heard he's adjusted really well and is looking really good. So it, it's going to be a battle, but I, I think Kevin Bauman is not going to step in and just do exactly what Tommy Tremble did. But I think he's a guy that could do some of the things that Tommy Tremble did. He's a guy that has a body type you could move around, play in a wing, maybe put as a fullback, um, and, and he's a good blocker. I don't know if he's the you know the punishing blocker that Tommy Tremble was, but not many people are. There's no one else in the draft class anywhere that has his ability to block. So 
you know, I think battling for that number two, number three role is going to is going to be where he is now. The reason I, I'm not being specific is as the number two tight end, Christopher, he would be more of a multi-use player, you know, a tradition because then he'll be in number. Sometimes he'll be in as the number one when you're giving Mayor a breather. And in that role, he has to be more of a true tight end, line up, run all the route package, block, and those kind of things. If he's the number three tight end, then his role will be more limited. It'll be more of a Brock Wright type of role. So that's the reason I'm not saying what I think that role will be. It just depends on whether he's the two or the three. And it, the, the two will have a more expansive role than the three will. Um, I think he probably would be used more to catch the ball than Brock Wright was. Uh, but it would still be a very similar role, 15 to 20, 25 snaps a game, short yardage, goal line stuff, and then the occasional you know usage out of that. And then, of course, sometimes maybe he's the number two in the two tight end set when you're giving another guy a breather. Ryan Bonk asks, why are we not talking about Clark? I assume that he's talking about Brendan Clark. Um, Ryan, a big part of the problem is because right now we don't know his health status. And, you know, he's a guy that that had knee surgery, I believe, after the season. I don't know what his status is going to be for, for spring practice. Um, and, and honestly, I think a big part of it for me, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know for me it's because as much as I love his physical talent, and look, we did a podcast yesterday previewing the quarterback position. We talked about Brendan Clark. We talked about his skill set. We talked about what he brings to the table. We also talked about sort of the challenges in front of him. I would encourage you to go to go check that out. But really what it boils down to is, if he's not 100% healthy and ready to go this spring, he's going to get passed up and it's going to be too far behind to, to get back in it. Um, that's just the reality. And, and that should happen at programs like Notre Dame. When you're recruiting the way that you should, guys that get hurt or guys don't develop fast enough just get passed up. And, and you know, it's unfortunate for that kid, but that's kind of how it should, that should, how it should work for a healthy program. Um, Omar Austin asks, uh, do you think Notre Dame will truly use two uh, halfbacks running backs this season? Omar, I think they will. And the reason I'm more optimistic about that than other things is because for me, I think we've seen it before under Brian Kelly. You know, 2011, they used Sierra Wood and Jonas Gray a lot together, not necessarily at the same time, but they used them both. 2012, we saw a lot of Theo, uh, Theo Riddick and Sierra Wood. And we even saw some George Atkinson getting mixed in there in, in normal miss. I mean, there was really three backs that you would see when the game was was on the line that season. 2015, not as much, but we did see two backs. You know, I, I think that 2015 was different because when Torian Folsom got back, got hurt, they didn't have the confidence to use Josh Adams more, which they should have. But they didn't move CJ Procise to running back to sit the bench and just spell Torian Folson. They moved him to running back in the spring, thinking they were going to have a good one-two punch with Torian Folson and CJ Procise. Uh, that that is something that I know from having conversations with people at the time. Uh, that 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 is something that they were certainly looking to do. And so we've seen it at different times where they've used a deeper back. To 2017, they used a deeper rotation. Yes, Josh Adams was the guy. But we saw plenty of Dexter Williams when he was healthy. We saw plenty of Tony Jones when he was healthy. We saw Deion McIntosh step into this to the to the rotation when those guys got hurt. So it wasn't just a Josh Adams and nobody else situation back then either. So I think we've seen it. Uh, I think that that we'll see more of it this year, especially now that Chris Tyree is going into year two. I will be shocked if Notre Dame doesn't doesn't allow Chris Tyree to be a bigger part of the offense while still also emphasizing Kyron Williams. And I think it would even make for a more expanded role for Kyron Williams. I could see Ky – Ky look, to me, Kyron Williams could be a better running version of Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU. 
And and he went late in the first round. And now I don't know if he'll test as well in the 40 and all that, but you know, Kyron Williams' ability to to catch the ball out of the backfield as a traditional running back to block. You know, he needs a lot of work from a technical assignment standpoint as a blocker. Those are areas where he struggled, but his willingness to block, his power as a blocker is impressive. And then, of course, he's a good runner, but he also now brings an element where you can line him up in the slot and isolate him against safeties and linebackers, and he can do damage as a route runner. So, And then you have Chris Tyree as your, your running back in those situations. So I think there is a, a lot of – there's a lot of – opportunity there with two players and i'd be shocked if we don't if we don't see that john a1 asks if Jarrett patterson stays inside at center or guard who are the best options for left tackle that's a great question my first thought would be that they would consider moving josh lug over there i don't know if that's an ideal situation if they keep him inside maybe there's a greater hope for tosh baker um, to kind of step into the to this battle this spring i could see a scenario in which Let's say Tosh Baker develops a little faster than I personally think Tosh Baker is is probably still a year away from being a regular just from a developing his body, getting the size and strength you need. But let's just say Tosh Baker develops faster than I think he is going to. And he's ready this spring. He goes out and says, hey, this guy's too good not to play. You could move Jarrett Patterson back to center or guard and start Tosh Baker. I think Tosh Baker could have a say in this. I've heard people mention Blake Fisher. I don't know if if Blake Fisher's a left tackle, especially early in his career, but you know who knows? He's an incredibly talented kid. So I'd say Josh Josh Lug would be an option. And then if Andrew Kristoffic has a big spring, you know, he's played a lot of left tackle for Notre Dame as as the backup to Ian Liam Eikenberg the last couple of years. So there are plenty of options. I just think that to me, Jarrett Patterson has the combination of experience, athleticism, and talent that that he could make the fastest transition, but you know, part of that is just understanding the rest of your group and how do you get the best five together. If there's a greater level of confidence in one of those younger tackles taking over left tackle, then obviously you would want to keep Jarrett Patterson inside. Let's see if we have anything else. Um, let's see here. Here we go. David Knight. See, David, you got you had to get the defensive question in there, didn't you? But you're you're my guy, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this anyway. What do you think about Riley Mills and his potential to contribute next year? And is he inside, outside, or both? Uh, David, I, I think that for me, um, I think he's a, an inside guy first, the three technique and their four down. But I do think he's athletic enough, a good enough pass rusher. We saw it in high school where if he's playing outside in a three down look as a five technique, he can absolutely rush the quarterback as over the tackle. So. I certainly he he thinks he can um, he could bring that to the table. So uh, he's going to be a player for Notre Dame. I, I'm excited to see. Um, I'm excited to see what he and Jason Adamiola are going to be able to do at the at the three technique position. All right, last one. This is looks like the last question we have. Omar Austin with his third question. I love it. Thank you, Omar. I read Joe. I read Joey Tonona was was dominant playing guard last season. Is Notre Dame still recruiting him as a tackle? Actually, he he played center last year, and he was outstanding. I don't think Notre Dame is necessarily recruiting him to play any position specifically. I think it's it's like what they've always done is he is a, a he originally recruited him to play tackle, but he also had traits that could project inside. So. Uh, I would imagine that with how he played at center this year, that there's a strong going to be strong thought over the next year to him being the center of the future. 
and and he's a guy that to me has the talent that he could he could be like a Jarrett Patterson where by his redshirt freshman year he's taken over that job. So now part of that depends on who's in front of him and and those kind of things. But I think the thing that I like about Joey Tonona is that they don't have to pigeonhole him into any position. They could give him a shot to play. He's not he's not a left tackle. I don't think he was a left tackle when they got him originally. He was more of a right tackle that I could project to play inside. When I think play inside, I think more guard than center because center's a you know a unique skill. But he made such a seamless transition. He's clearly comfortable playing inside. Um, you know, so uh, I think he's a kid that that is he's ranked around the two hundred area right now from the services. I think he's better than that. I think he's a top one fifty caliber player. I really like Joey Tanona. I think he's an even better prospect than than he is right now, and he's considered a a, a, well, a highly ranked prospect. I mean, Ohio State really wanted him. Notre Dame obviously got in and was able to get him in the class. It was a huge pickup. He's never going to get the, in my opinion, the sort of the 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 big ranking bump that you might expect because he's starting so low and he's already committed. And he's been committed so long now already that you're just not going to see there be a big push most likely for him to to be ranked as high as I think he should be, but. I'm really looking forward to seeing him develop over this next year and and seeing if he can see if he can get that bump because right now I, I like I said I grade him as a top 150 player as an interior player I think if if you view him as a pure tackle then I'm more in line with the top 200 to 250 kind of ranking because I think he's a still developing players a tackle but as an interior player his skill set that he showed this year as a junior in high school was was truly outstanding. So a lot of good questions from y'all. I appreciate it. This show went, went obviously very long, but that was because we had a lot of great questions. Uh, appreciate you guys doing that. It does not look like we have any more questions right now in, in the queue. So I want to thank everybody for joining us. We will be back next Friday and we're going to talk Notre Dame defense and Notre Dame defense recruiting. And then, so um, we'll try to make this a little bit more thematic, but th- we'll also still mix in some shows where you guys can come and ask whatever you want. You know, if there if there are any specific topics we want to address, if you have some topics you'd like to see us address in a mailbag, in a normal video, in written work, or in a podcast, let us know. You can let us know in a lot of different ways. You can let us know at irishbreakdown.com. You can leave a chat in any of our stories. You can leave a comment in one of our YouTube videos. We also have a community board now on our YouTube channel that you can leave questions and comments and we can engage with you there. Or you can, you can hit me up on Twitter at coach D one seven eight. And if you want to shoot me an email, you can do that too. It's Brian at irishbreakdown.com. Trying to make it as easy as possible for you to find us, follow us, read our stuff and engage with us. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for listening. And uh, we look forward to talking with you guys and gals again very soon. <laughs>